Welcome to the Trinity Grace Church Podcast. Trinity Grace is a community helping New Yorkers embody the love of Christ for the good of our neighbors. We have two services on Sunday mornings, 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. at General Seminary in the Chapel of the Good Shepherd. We would love for you to join us. For more information, go to tgcdowntown.com. May you be filled with curiosity, grace, and peace as we listen and learn together through this sacred text. Today's teaching text is John 9, verses 1 through 41. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? the man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who will see become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. The Gospel of the Lord. 
Now that we've had our gospel reading, uh, we're gonna take a moment to be quiet, uh, a moment of holy silence. Uh, and whatever you bring into this moment, it could be lots of faith, it could be lots of doubt. We just invite you to bring this whole, uh, your whole self to this moment. Because when we bring our whole selves, we pay attention, that's what makes a moment sacred. Um, so join me as best as you know how in a moment of quiet to center ourselves in God's presence and to the possibility that this story could connect to our story. God, give us an awareness of how you're at work in this moment. Give us an openness of heart that we could see. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are struggling, all of us, to adjust to this new reality that we face. And it's in moments like these that faith invites us, in the words of Rowan Williams, to inhabit a larger world. Last week, we reflected on Jesus inviting us to do just that, to adjust to a new reality, or in his words, to be born again. In our narrative today, we see these two forces at work, a force on the one hand, which invites us to see our blindness, and a force on the other, which invites us to see a brilliance that shines at the heart of the universe. And we see a struggle. There's kind of a clash to adjust these two realities together. And this is a paradigm story. It's kind of a parable for us in this moment. The good news of Christ sort of uh, rises up to the surface in this, and it invites us to a double vision. First, we see ourselves. As this gospel story unfolds, we get this clearer picture, and we see exactly what the experts can't see. They can't see these mechanisms, this machinery at work underneath the surface of reality. It's a machinery that leads them to be deeply afraid. It allows them to put their violence to use, to protect themselves, to make them feel safe, to secure them in their self-justified positions. It's a mechanism that allows them to scapegoat, to allow themselves to feel safe at the expense of another. And it's all going on inside of them. And Jesus says, essentially, they're stuck. They don't know what they can't see. And when vision is offered to them, they basically run away from it. Now, I wonder in this moment if we aren't experiencing some of the same dynamics. I wonder if we have eyes to see the machinery at work underneath the surface of our lives right now. This past week, when our president referred to the virus as the Chinese virus, I think we saw some of this machinery at play. One of our parishioners, Jonathan Merritt, invited us to consider if it originated in Ohio, would he have called it the American virus? And if not, why? What Jonathan's doing with that question is he's inviting us to see and to experience and to consider the machinery at work underneath our lives right now. In moments of crisis, our ego wants to blame. We want to find someone or some group that we can hold responsible and that we can discharge our rage or discharge our dread upon. And Jesus, through this action of healing the blind man, is bringing something to light. It's a light that tells us you can't see what it is that your habits or your skills or your status prevent you from engaging with. Ouch. 
mean, many of us feel uh, exposed in this moment. We're seeing new things and we're being seen in new ways. Some of us are stuck in our apartments with roommates or family and we have this higher volume of experience with each other and it's sort of exposing us to um, maybe like things that we haven't normally been seen uh, or that we're used to being seen. But that's not all that this story is showing us. This story is not just showing us something about ourselves, but it's showing us a beauty. In this story, what makes the difference in John's gospel is that it's not just portraying a vision of ourselves, a vision that is failing or ignorant or frightened. But the story that Jesus tells it, uh, or at least as John tells it, involves a vision of something else. It's uh, what Jesus calls in this story, glory. The radiance and the beauty that is at the heart of the universe. It's a beauty that causes us to sort of slow our roll a little bit and to pause and to consider what's happening right now. Now, in the full light of that radiance, you can't be like the religious experts and basically say, I see, and I've got it. It's not something, it's not like an experience you can put in your pocket and have a sense of control over. Jesus' mission in this gospel is described very clearly as the process of bringing that radical, radiant beauty to light in this world. And only the most resolutely self-justifying and the most terminally terrified will want to resist this light. The radiant beauty, the glory that is the gospel is this glory of divine letting go. And faced with that, we're delivered, so we hope and we pray, from the prison of our fear and our violence. Because if we're faced with that vision of this endless, unconditional, unlimited unselfishness, there's no one that we have to persuade to love us. There's no one that we have to persuade to not be hostile. It's not like there's this defensive, hostile entity or tyrant in the sky that we have to placate. And so this double vision of our own machinery underneath the surface and God's radiant beauty, it helps us see what Jesus sees, that love is always at work. Now in the future, when we look back on this moment, I wonder how we'll see it. I wonder if we'll be able to remember that the coronavirus once told us the truth about ourselves, the truth that we need each other, the truth that we're only as healthy as the most vulnerable among us, and the truth that it's our responsibility to keep each other safe and to take care of each other. It's not lost on me that like three weeks ago, we unveiled our new name as a church, Good Shepherd New York, and we cast the vision for why we are embracing that name as a symbol of who we are and who we want to become. And critical to that idea is this sense of leaving no one behind. I mean, the parable of the lost sheep, you have one sheep among the hundred that the shepherd goes out to look for, to search for, and to rescue. Jesus taught us that if we care for the least of these, whether it's in prison or it's the people who are hungry or the people who need clothing, when we do that, we do it for him. It's at the heart of our vision as a community to care for each other, to take responsibility and to not leave anyone behind. And it's kind of prophetic for this moment, I think. In some sense, there is a wolf at the door, but the wolf potential is also in all of us that machinery that wants to devour, to prey, to exploit, to protect itself. And so Jesus is sort of shining a light 
on this reality, on this potential, on this human machinery, and it is resisted. People don't like the light being shown on them. And so we see these religious experts and these leaders, political and religious, bumping up against Jesus and it ultimately winds up in his crucifixion. For us to adjust to this new, new reality, I think we need to learn to see something that we haven't seen. And that for the best of us, it takes a struggle in order to see. Last week we considered Nicodemus and Nicodemus is amazing because he goes through this like three phase development. He hears this invitation to be born again, to see things differently, but it doesn't take root right away. Nicodemus gradually eases his way into this new understanding, this new way of seeing. At one point, when people are debating what to think about Jesus, Nicodemus sticks out his neck a little bit and says, hey, I wonder if we've considered it a different way and sort of comes to his defense. But by the end of the story, after Jesus has been crucified and has died uh, and is in the process of being buried, we only have two figures that are involved in his burial and Nicodemus is one of them. He violates his own purity code of caring for and handling a dead body on the Sabbath and apparently uh, brings his wealth to bear to care for Jesus. Now, Jesus has, has invited Nicodemus on a path of change and of transformation and Nicodemus has embraced it and is living in the midst of it. Now, how might you be going through a holy evolution in this moment? Jesus said, now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. That's a fascinating thing to say. He basically is saying, your problem is that you can't see what you can't see. You can't see what it is that your habits and your status and your skill prevent you from engaging with. And in the heat of the moment, we are tempted to pretend that we see more than we do. Our mantras, our axioms, our beliefs, they're always put to the test in crisis. And we need to have the humility to say, I think I'm kind of blind right now. I'm not sure that I understand what's going on or how to navigate this situation. It's one thing to know in your mind and to believe something, but it's another thing to experience it in the moment. The experience of our vulnerability can be blinding. My uh, son Leo is five years old and he has two older siblings so he's in this mode right now where he will not be patronized. And we had a family meeting the other day where we were talking about the virus and uh, what it means to sort of be self-contained in our apartment and uh, I, I just, out of compassion, asked my son in the presence of my family, do you understand what's going on right now? And somehow that question pricked in him a self-defensiveness, like he does not want to be patronized. And so he sort of ruffled his feathers and he said, no, I know what's going on right now. And I said, okay, well, that's good. Um, do you know much about the virus? And he goes, yes. And I said, well, okay, well, and then I start telling the story. I'm like, well, it started in China. And before I could even get the next phrase out of my mouth, he interrupts me and he says, I know it originated in China. <laughs> and I was sort of taken aback from that. But later on that night, as I was putting him to bed, I said, buddy, what, what do you know about what's going on right now? And because it was a tender moment, it wasn't, you know, the, the bravado of his ego trying to uh, present himself a certain way to his older brother and sister. It was just me and him. And he felt safe and he felt sort of uh, open. And he just said, oh, daddy, I don't know. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is inviting us into. Um, he's inviting us to 
in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of uh, all the things that, that present themselves to us as threats, to just simply, like the blind man, say, I don't know. I'm blind. I can't see right now. The experience of our vulnerability can be blinding. I had a phone call with a friend, Joe Tosini, who works with John 17. He kind of connects us uh, to the Catholic world and uh, others, and we've done a lot of work with him and Pope Francis. And he was telling me that in Italy right now, that there's just the sense of which, uh, of, of uh, lethargy, there's a sense of depression. Um, people aren't even, even able to uh, attend the funerals of their friends, and it's wearing them out. That's an experience of vulnerability. I think we're living in a moment that's a lot like 9-11. We live in a new world, uh, or we will live in a new world when this is all said and done. My friend Chris Hewitt, who's a great friend of our community, uh, put it this way, right now, there are parents of newborns who feel the sadness of not being able to introduce their babies to friends and to family because of social distancing. And that's a blinding vulnerability. There are retired folks who are already struggling to get by, who are now watching their shaky financial futures vaporize in front of their very eyes as the stock market takes a hit. That's a blinding vulnerability. For everyone getting married over the next few months, trying to remember that they're not celebrating alone, even if their community can't be there for the ceremony, that's a blinding vulnerability. There are refugees right now who are trying to make sense of this chaos in a foreign country and through a language that is not their own and difficult to comprehend. That's a blinding vulnerability. For the small business owners who are forced to close shop out of service to our collective health, but will struggle to stay in business once all of this has passed. Or for the single parents who are already undersupported and overworked, this is a blinding vulnerability for the 20 plus million kids in the US who need public school meal assistance just to get one or two hot meals a day. And for the parents who are suffering the pain of seeing their kids go hungry, this is a blinding vulnerability. I think of all of the activists and the charities and the nonprofits like our, ourselves, fighting to build a better world, one donation at a time, and at this time, they're watching their funding thin out. Across the street from us is an elderly home, and we know right now across our country and around the world, it's the elderly who are in these assisted living communities who are living in fear that they may never see their family again. The authors, the speakers, the musicians, everyone in the gig industry whose livelihood is dependent on events have been canceled. And I think of the immunosuppressed and the immunocompromised. They fear running down to the market and buying basic things so they can just get by for one more day. I mean, we could go on and on of all the unintended consequences of this virus. And what we see in all of it is a staggering, blinding vulnerability. But that's not the end of the story. For us, as we consider this moment, we consider what we're experiencing together and our vulnerability, um, these are experiences that are blinding, but they are, are, that's just because we're used to seeing through the eyes of strength. And right now, Jesus is inviting us to embrace, I think, seeing through the eyes of weakness. Jesus said at the end of this story, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and so that those who see will become blind.
And in this story, there's only one who really sees, and it's the man born blind, because he had to let go of the pretense of sight. And maybe when you let go, you'll begin to see the truth that the coronavirus is telling us, and it's this, that you're not alone, that we're in this together, that we're going to do everything we can to help each other, and that we will get through this. It's important for us not to scold ourselves for feeling the feelings that we feel. A lot of us are feeling anxiety, and that is totally normal. And so we have to make room for it in ourselves and in those we love and with whom we have close proximity right now. It's important to think about during the season of Lent how we're handling it, how we're exporting it, how we're moving through it, instead of labeling it good or bad, right or wrong. As one of our fellow parishioners, Savannah Guthrie, said this week, social distance doesn't have to mean emotional distance. I think right now of all the creative ways churches and communities are trying to connect us. Uh, We're doing a thing called the eights right now. Every day at 8 a.m. and at 8 p.m., we're convening a video Zoom call uh, for anyone who wants to sort of check in. And our leaders, our board of elders, our board of trustees are, are facilitating those. And they're caring for the people in our community so that you don't have to feel isolated. Um, we're putting window signs. I saw my friend Tim Schrader put up a, a sign to, the, to his neighborhood that said, uh, we're gonna get through this. And our kids even this morning put up a, a sign that said, we love you to the elderly home across the street. There are forms that people are filling out saying, hey, here's my name, here's my number, here's how to get a hold of me. If you have any needs, I'm willing to make a run for you to the grocery store or whatever. And they're putting it up in their mail room or they're putting it up in their elevator or at their, in the lobby of their building. We, this week, we just started a COVID-19 relief fund, knowing that our, our benevolence fund wasn't going to be enough to care for the needs of our community and our neighbors. And so uh, there are many of you already in this short window that we've had that open who've given to it. And now we're sitting on uh, the ability to act and to love and to do something we couldn't do by ourselves. Because when we share, there's always enough. And so this is a moment where we can take responsibility for our spheres. These moments of vulnerability as we move into deeper levels of sight are ripe for a sense of the mesmerizing beauty of the God who is love flowing through the people that God loves. And so you need to remember, you're not alone. We're in this together. We're going to do everything we can to help each other. And we will get through this with God's help. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Grace Church podcast. Trinity Grace is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you'd like to support us, please text TGC Downtown to 77977. That's TGC Downtown to 77977 or visit our website, tgcdowntown.com. Thank you for listening.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you. And may you be filled with peace, hope, and love. <laughs>